Welcome to the Fake It to Make It podcast, where we interview some of the brightest minds in business and learn lessons from their tragedies and triumphs that help them get to where they are today. My name is Ryan McGinnis. I'm your host. And today I'm super excited. Uh, we're interviewing Amanda Bradford, who is the founder of The League, an online dating platform aimed at young professionals and those that take their careers and passions seriously to cut through all of the noise in today's dating scene. I'll stop there. Uh, really excited for you guys to hear this. So enough of me, and let's get into the interview with Amanda. Now, if you know about technology and disruption, you know that every story starts with a small tale of what life used to be like before the iPhone, before we had laptops, or even before we had a way to broadcast the news or what we do in real time. The League in Online Dating starts there as well. I like to talk to people about what it was like to use taxis before Uber and Lyft. And I try to really get them to remember trying to get a taxi in the rain. And most people won't want to think about this, but you have to really push them. And you have to remember um, to tell them, remember how you have to walk in the middle of the street and raise your hands crazy and just even, you know, and and you still might not get a taxi and you still may never get to work for an hour, right? So I I like to think that dating apps uh, or the league in particular is sort of the answer to that is that instead of trying to kind of aimlessly walk around life hoping you run into your your soulmate um, let's take serendipity kind of into your own hands and and use technology and use tools and use social networks to to give us better chance of finding you know that partner or person and so um, you know the league uses Facebook we use LinkedIn we require everyone to double authenticate but the the goal of kind of all that information that we're collecting is so that we can scour the network and find you a match uh, so you don't have to kind of be in the middle of the street waving with your hands in the middle of the rain right so that's kind of the analogy I like to use to explain to people who've never really done online dating so before. great we now have a super accessible way to meet all these people online problem solved right with companies like Tinder giving you access to the entire ocean where all these fish are swimming, I'm going real deep with this analogy, the league saw a problem with that. As technology evolves, especially platforms that are built around people, you want to know as much as you can and leverage important data profiles to build a safe and intelligent community. And that was their next task. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess to, to go forward on the, the taxi analogy, it's like, and then you have Tinder who comes and fixes that, but now all of a sudden you have thousands of taxis like chasing you down in the middle of the street and you don't know where they're from or if they even have their driver's license, right? So so I guess, uh, you know, Tinder almost created another problem, which is finding your way through this, you know, thousands, if not millions of kind of people using the app trying to find each other, right? So now... Um, you know, what we really came in was let's use technology. Let's look at all this innovation we've, we've built. Let's, let's leverage it for the dating space, but let's not overwhelm people. Let's still, um, let's curate things. Let's listen to their preferences. Let's, let's assume people know themselves to some degree and let them enter in kind of what they're looking for. And then let's push information and push profiles that we think will match their preferences and their tastes. And so what we, you know, the way we think about it is you don't, shouldn't have to go through a thousand people a day in kind of an angry birds fashion. We should be able to give you three to five profiles a day after, you know, a couple of weeks on the app, you should be getting matches that you're interested in meeting. The league has since solidified itself as just that a community of driven and career oriented individuals who might not want access to all the fish in the sea, but just the ones that have the highest likelihood of being the best match for them. 
But Amanda wasn't always an entrepreneur or even a dating expert. She started her career as a solutions engineer at Salesforce, helping bring projects to life and identifying business opportunities to help customers succeed. I was always one of those people that I liked, you know, I guess you could call me pretty well-rounded. Like I liked the design aspect. I liked, you know, the math problems. I liked the science aspect. So I, I tended to dabble in a lot of things. And um, I think, you know, the, the profession I chose out of school was uh, working as a sales engineer, which essentially is you're building, you're doing a lot of the technical grunt work, you're coding, you're, you're building really complex demos, but you're not having to build sort of enterprise grade software. You don't, you don't need all the, the code to fire beautifully. It, it can be kind of messy and sloppy, um, which is sort of right up my alley, sort of the way I code. Um, and then on the flip side, you also get to sell the vision of what you're building to the customer. Um, you get to explain to them, this is just the beginning. You could do this, this, and this. You get to explain how you can solve their problem with technology. And so um, I tended to, you know, I tend to tell people the same advice, which is if you can stay technical, but also learn how to communicate technical concepts uh, to people in a way that excites them and makes them um, kind of have positive feelings about uh, anything really that you're selling, then I, I think that's really good training ground for being an entrepreneur because at the end of the day, an entrepreneur is a sales job through and through. Um, and it really helps if you can also be good at managing technology and, and learning how to leverage technology. So staying, you know, as technical as you can for as long as you can, I think is, you know, is, is the, the advice that I give a lot of, you know, the interns that come through the league and people in our company that are, are more junior. Many people career. who are looking for ways to better understand the business world, build that network and get back to the books of how to successfully launch a company will actually turn to business school. Aside from all the books and the networking and, and things that you're trying to do to better yourself, business school gives you a place to do just that. For Amanda, Stanford was where she started to take those aspirations of solving complex problems seriously. And as a humble footnote, one of Amanda's internships while in business school was at Sequoia, which is one of the largest venture capital firms in the world. But I'll let her tell you more about that. I kind of came into Stanford you know, being excited about entrepreneurship, wanting to try my hand at it in some fashion. I did a couple internships while I was there, um, one in venture capital, so I could see kind of a, a high volume of startups throughout that summer. Um, and then I did another two internships with startups, one about, you know, two to 300 person company, and they focused on mobile apps because uh, I knew I wanted to do something in mobile. And I knew that mobile was the platform of the future and when I wanted to I wanted to be a mobile first company uh, if I were to, to build a company. Um, so I did two mobile internships, really short amounts of time, about four weeks in one and in six weeks in the other, which a lot of people laugh and say, how did you provide any value? And maybe I didn't, <laughs> but, but I think, you know, what I did is I understood sort of how the operations work, how people were working together. I did a lot of the, the grunt work that, you know, at the end of the day as a startup, you need people that are going to do sometimes really crappy work and not complain about it. So, you know, I was showed up and I was there to, to do, I think I, I watched, 20 people go through an onboarding flow on user testing and I had to write notes about everything they saw and find trends. And this is like, you know, like a four week project of literally watching people go through onboarding screens the whole time. But, but, you know, I did add value to, to the onboarding team and I learned a lot about, you know, how, how important it is where you put buttons and, and how pixel perfect actually matters from an overall, um, you know, alleviating customer confusion. So I think um, those experiences combined, 
allowed me to feel pretty confident that I could do it. I think working at a 20 person startup and sitting next to the CEO and, and talking to him like a real person and seeing that, you know, he's not magic. He doesn't have special powers. Um, he's just a hardworking guy trying to, to build this company. So I think that gave me the kind of being so close to it, gave me the confidence that I could put one foot in front of the other and, and do it. And I think I talked to a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs that really get stuck here. Like, it, you know, maybe they didn't do an internship. Maybe they weren't graduating business school. And because of that, they didn't have, it was harder for them to take the plunge and they kind of get trapped in this. I think I could do it, but I don't know if I could do it. And I don't have the confidence to know that I want to leave everything behind. And, and I think really working with, you know, working with other startups and sitting next to the people, of these companies really, you know, really made an impact. And I, I think that I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't done those little like baby four week <laughs> internships with these, you know, Why startups. founders start their companies is just as important as what they start. For Amanda, this is a perfect storm of a five-year breakup, business school graduation, and realizing she wanted to be on the other side of the investor table, taking her ideas and executing on them. I wanted to be on the other side of the table. I wanted to be the one that was frustrated after the meetings. And I wanted to be the one that was, um, you know, trying to come up, convince people to, to invest in my idea. And I wanted to be the ideas person. And I think... Um, and I think it, you, you kind of know if you're one of those people. And so then then if you're an ideas person, then the trick is trying to figure out, can you also be an action-oriented person? And can you actually do what it takes to turn your idea into action? And that is very hard. Most people have a lot of ideas, but, but very few people turn them into reality. So if you can, if you have both of those skill sets, then, you know, I, I think then, then it's really a matter of like what what startup and what timing, you know, what's the best timing for you and what's the best industry to, to jump off in. So I think, you know, for me, those internships really helped me realize that I had those, those two components. Um, and, you know, I am a hustler and I could do that. So then I, you know, for me, it was really just kind of deciding that this was the project I was going to take the plunge. With. But even when Amanda decided she wanted to give entrepreneurship a shot, she was very pragmatic around giving herself a deadline for success. If the idea didn't have legs in the first few months after graduation, Amanda had a job offer in her back pocket. Now, we know how the story ends. Obviously, we're interviewing her here today as the CEO and founder of the league. But listen to how it unfolded. I'm a hedger. I always am. And as much as I hate talking about it, I don't think it's like that cool of a story to tell you that, no, I actually had a job in my back pocket while I was working on the league. And I, I knew I could go to that job if the league wasn't successful. And that actually gave me more motivation because I get, you know I knew I had to you know, I was going to start the job January 2015. So I needed to get the product launched and make, you know, have enough traction so that I could turn down this opportunity, right? So like, I basically put the pressure back on myself and said, I need to be far enough along with the league so that I can turn down this really awesome job opportunity that, you know, if the league blew up, I would, I would want to do. And so that actually, you know, hedging, I think can, can, can be used as a motivational force when, when you put it next to what, what you need to get done. So, so, you know, as much as a lot of people say the signaling looks like you're not committed or, oh, if you have too many fires in the urns in the fire, you know, one's going to burn and that kind of thing. But, but I, I disagree. I think that in everything I've done with the league, I always have, you know, three or four balls in the air and you never know what's going to hit and you never know how things are going to work out. And so I always say you should have three kind of ends that would make you happy or three goals that, you know, that, that you're going for. And if one of those goals dies in the middle of it, then you have two more to, to focus on. And so, you know, I say that with dating too. You should have three people you're excited about dating. And if you don't have three people you're excited about and you're not exclusive with someone, go find, you know, some more people that you're excited about because you just never know how these things are going to turn out. I didn't know the league was going to work. I thought it could just be an NBA dating app that, 
had a small user base and stayed quietly in, in my back pocket while I worked on other things. So I, I just think you never know. And the people that say they know how big and great their company is going to be, that's that's awesome. Maybe they have some special talents that I don't. But but I think if, you're a, if you manage it as a really important thing in your life and it's something you want to give it the best chance to succeed, however you want to be pragmatic, then yeah, take some side projects and save up money and, and buy yourself a time that you can take four weeks off or take three months off and go and and try to launch your business. I, I think you can do it. I just think it, it definitely takes more more thought, more balance, work-life balance. Um, you know, for me, it was I was ending business school, so I got to dedicate 40 hours until my job was going to start. So I basically gave myself six months to to kind of produce something. But, but, you know, whatever you need to do to give yourself a period of time that you can work without interruption, uh, 100% focused on your project, I, I wholly support however, I guess, however you need and to do that. what did V1 of the league look like? It wasn't what it is today. But what's more important is that Amanda sought feedback early and often. And in true MVP form, she wrote the first matching algorithm herself just to see if anyone even wanted to use something like the league. I just wanted it out. I wanted to prove that we had a product in a market and I didn't really need to prove that the app was the best app in the world or the most technologically advanced or the best machine learning. That wasn't my objective. My objective was to see, is there a market here? Do people want this product? Um, we didn't even have monetization in. We just wanted to see like, will people share, refer? Does it, you know, is it helping people find what they're looking for? And are we actually solving the the core problem we're trying to we're trying to fix. And so um, we shipped really, you know, I wrote the first algorithm. It's essentially a glorified if then statement. Um, it was written in JavaScript. I could edit it live on Amazon S3. So it was, you know, it was really pretty low tech in the V1 was. And then, you know, once we did raise funding and we had enough time and money to really kind of build a, a real system, we were able to, and in apps, you know, totally different app today. But at, at the beginning, you know, my objective and Derek, the guy who I worked with to build it, our objective was just to get the app in the app store and to prove if this sort of educated, ambitious, you know, high achieving users that are career focused, super busy, do they respond to this brand and do they actually want to use it to find people to date. And, and I felt like, you know, within a month of launching, we felt like we really proved our hypothesis and, and our investors did too. And that was when we ended up closing, you know, a two and a half million dollar round, which I, I'd like to state was really hard to close. Like I had, you know, I had a lot of people committed at quote unquote, a million dollars for maybe, you know, three or four months. And then it wasn't really until we launched it, had traction and actually saw referral numbers and matches and messaging and and really had kind of the full product launch metrics available that we were able to then close our round. And then once we were able to close around, then more and more people want to come in, of course. So we went from one to, to two to two and a half. Um, but but it definitely was a, a slog, you know, to, to try to raise money pre, pre-launch uh, for, you know, a product that you don't even know has kind of product market fit at that point. For us, we needed to make sure that it wasn't just going to be an MBA dating app, which, you know, it started out as like almost all MBAs. And I, I needed to make sure that it, we weren't painting ourselves into a corner and that it w would have appeal outside of graduate school students. Um, and so that was like one thing I really wanted to prove when we launched was that, yeah, maybe we have a lot of MBAs on it now, but I think, you know, my friends at Google that don't have MBAs or my friends at Salesforce that are in sales, I wanted to make sure that it, it kind of worked for them too. So as far as like figuring out if it had legs, you know, obviously doing the market sizing, doing all the kind of academic work to, to kind of get yourself 
believing that this is a big market, is over a billion dollar market in the United States, looking at your kind of core core metrics to make sure it's big enough. Obviously, some of your competitors making sure they, you know, they have good business models that aren't declining. Um, in our case, the dating space actually doesn't have great business models. And we have a lot of um, public companies that you know, haven't always done great. Uh, now that tenders out, Match is doing a lot better since they're a subsidiary. But for the most part, there's some like key problems in the dating space. And so really recognizing your industry's kind of Achilles heel. Um, and for us, it's churn, right? So it's, you know, users come in, they match, and then they're happy, they're really happy, and then they leave you. <laughs> so you do your job, you know, the better you do your job, the more likely they are to leave you with someone else and bringing someone else with them, right? So that's just something you need to go into the, the dating space and the business model with eyes wide open around that and making sure that we're building a business model that sort of is win-win. Like we want to be happy when the users are happy and the current way isn't really, right? So so I think just making sure that you're doing your diligence on looking at your competitors, looking at the market. And then I think as much as you can do, test it on real users. So I did, um, I wasn't, I did some development work in, in college, but, you know, I was super rusty and I didn't really feel like, dusting off those skills. So I ended up just weaving together a bunch of Photoshop files um, in something called Envision where you can basically trick people and they push a button and it opens another file and you click a menu bar and it opens a, a, another file that looks just like it, but with the menu bar open. So you kind of, you trick the users into thinking they're using an app, but really it's a bunch of static screens that are hyperlinked together. And, and I was able to do a lot of testing with that. I mean, you could almost, if you imagine a dating app, I could almost... Uh, fake the whole thing. So I would get them do onboarding and then I would show them three guys, if it was a girl or whoever. And I would ask if they met their preferences and I would ask what confuses them about the UI UX. So I could almost do a lot of that while, while the development process was happening so that by the time we launched, I wasn't worried about if people were going to be confused or understand the product. I could focus on kind of the, the problems you need to solve that you need users to solve, right? Like I actually need to give you a match that you're going to go on a date with. Uh, I can't do that in an Envision, uh, you know, fake app. I really need the real users. I need it to be live so that you can go on a date. And then that's when we've really delighted you, right? So the way I thought about it is what can I do beforehand so that after we launch, the only thing we need to do is kind of delight you by finding you someone you want to meet offline. So I, I basically tested, you know, every piece of copy, every every design and everything with users prior to going live um, so that when we went live, um, you know, the app just The name worked. of the podcast is Fake It Till Make It. And there's a reason for that. We interview people who may not have taken the straightest path to what they wanted to do or what they were really good at. But along the way, they took risks. They found opportunities. They did things that they thought they might not have been so ready to do, but ended up working out for the best. In Amanda's case, there are many examples when that was exactly what happened. And for a lot of advice-seeking conversations I read on LinkedIn or people who are thinking about starting companies of their own... Her next bit of advice around execution, I think, is really important. I'm not here sitting here telling you guys that I'm the only one that come up with the idea of a curated dating, you know, admissions-based community. I'm sure millions have, but the the question is like, what did you do about it, and and how did you know it was a good product, and and how did you actually bring it to market? So I think the more important things when I'm listening to people's ideas is not so much the idea, but like what they've actually done around validating the idea and how they know. And if they've run AdWords or they've run, you know, I love it when I talk to people who have already tested and actually have converted users into buying a product that they haven't even built yet. And you can do all of this on Google AdWords or Facebook ads or create little, you know, kind of fake apps that can really test if you have a business before you, before you really sink your teeth into it. And I think as much as you can do that, 
um, the better, both for your own risk tolerance and also so that you're getting you know user feedback as right away from the very beginning of development. And what does cycle. the future of the league look like? Well, picture all of the nightlife apps that you've seen pop up recently. But this is the one that's grounded in dating and one that builds a community around those who are most active on these apps and in these communities. Because as Amanda realized, most nightlife is driven by those who are single. The future of the league is offline. Um, the, the way you know the way we've been building the company and the product is that we recognize dating is always going to be our kind of core reason. The reason people come to the league, the reason people um, you know are there to spend money. It's it's usually to to match and to find their soulmate or their life partner. So um, we'll never not be dating. But but what I do think we can do and we can do a lot better is is really being that social network, that fabric of your social life. And, and we all know single people basically run kind of the social scene or the nightlife. If you, you know, if you look at any city's kind of social makeup, the people that know where the parties are, the people that are going to the concerts, the people that are really like doing the doers in the city are very often single. And I think that we can better enable those users to, to kind of live in their city smarter and better. So one of the things we're working on is allowing um, users to see where other pockets of users are in their city that fit their preferences. So, you know, the example I always use is when my girlfriend got out of a long relationship, I wanted to take her out um, kind of out on the town and go bar hopping. And we went into three bars and then there was not one kind of single guy our age in any of the bars we went into. And I, you know, I was just like in this day and age in 2018 this is crazy that i can't find a bar in san francisco with like single 30 year old guys to for me and my friend to talk to so you know i think just um what we're a lot of what we're working on is is just merging online and offline so that when you don't want to be on your phone all the time you don't want to be in a room you know playing angry birds you want to be out in the life and enjoying the world um and how do we help you kind of serendipitously meet people while you're out enjoying the world um and, and doing the activities you love uh, at the same and when time. I asked Amanda if she had any advice or parting wisdom for you guys, listeners, anybody who's going through any kind of decision-making process, whether graduating college or, or trying to make a career decision of some kind, uh, she talked about optionality. And one of her favorite quotes that she had from a professor in business school at Stanford. The best decision is typically made by comparing the most attractive alternatives. And so what it means is that anytime you're going to be kind of making a big decision, whether it's starting a company or, um, you know, getting married or buying a house, it's, it's, it's look around, it's shop around and it's, it's do your diligence. And I think that, um, for me, I think the same goes with your career. You know, when you have an awesome job offer, like maybe go talk to two other companies just to get a, some context or you, someone who shows up on your front door and wants to be your head of finance. That's great. But go in and meet a couple other heads of finances first before you, you know, before you kind of jump into bed together. Right. And so I think that the idea is you should always have a lot of balls in the air at once. And, you know, the best, the best outcome is being able to choose from, you know, all really great options. All right. That's it for me and for the podcast. If you liked it, subscribe, leave a five-star review, do all of those things. But more importantly, come back next week. We're going to be releasing some amazing interviews with great people who I think you guys are really going to enjoy hearing from. So until next time, I'll see you later.